This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast, sponsored by Cards Accepted. I'm Elliot Jackson and I'm joined as always by my co-host George Smith. George, how are you? Not bad, mate. Not bad. It's been a steady weekend off on Saturday. We had the pleasure... Of spending we did. Saturday afternoon together in the flesh, we watching did. the championship Wasn't it football lovely. match, didn't we? That was exciting. We did indeed. It was. It was quite good. And then uh, Sunday we watched, today, we watched I two. We watched two championship matches because we watched Leicester we versus did. West Brom on the box in the press room at Hillsborough. We did, and then we watched a game in the flesh. But yeah, been a been a steady weekend. Obviously, with with you yesterday, Saturday, and then I've been working today, Sunday. But looking forward to spending the next hour or so. Reflecting on quite a busy weekend and what's been quite an interesting week, including the midweek action as well. It's been quite a quite an intriguing one the last few days in this league, to be fair. I feel like I've got loads to say on today's podcast about loads of teams that we haven't specifically spoken about for a little bit, which I'm looking forward to because obviously we've got the midweek slate to bake in today as well um, in terms of giving our thoughts and opinions. It was the weekend of Wonder Goals as well, so I'm looking forward to chatting through some of those as well. Um, and over the next hour or so, we'll be bringing you the biggest talking points from the weekend as Leicester City leave it late, Wonder Goals galore and Sheffield Wednesday shock Blackburn Rovers. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. George, I think the best place to start is the early kickoff on Saturday where there was late, late drama at the Hawthorns in the early kickoff. West Bromwich Albion losing 2-1 to Leicester City. Quite an even first half, I thought. Um, Cedric Kipri obviously hitting the post with a header from a corner, but both teams throwing a few jabs, a few few jibes at the other, but neither landing a knockout punch. And then I thought Leicester really started to step it up in, in the second half. Got a lot of joy in those sort of wide areas and getting wide overloads with the the, the right number eight in Wilfred and Diddy, the left number eight in Keenan Jusbury Hall. Um, making those those underlapping runs uh, for Mavadidi and Makatir to, to feed them. That, of course, is what brought the first goal with Ndidi making that run. Great crossover for the opposite number eight, Jewsbury Hall, to come in and head Leicester City in front. And I thought that was a goal that they deserved based on the second half performance. You know, it's no mean feat to go to West Brom and, and break them down. We spoke about their home form on last week's podcast. They obviously won in midweek as well against Cardiff. West Brom levelled things up late through Josh Mazza and that, that we thought that was the, the final piece of action. But my biggest question about this is, why have West Brom got so many men forward? Now, I understand that it's basically a set piece by the fact, I think it was it Darnell Furlong who, who lobbed it in. He's got the long throw, I think. So I understand that it's basically a corner, but you wouldn't have that many men forward, surely. Like I feel like it was quite naive from West Brom to throw that many men forward in the last last sort of seconds of the game. Quite uncorbran as well, because a point would have been a good result for them. So to throw that many men forward, yes, you want to win the game, but I don't know, maybe, I suppose, it's hard to say, they probably have the same setup from every corner and every other long throw, and, and, you know, 90 times out of 100, it doesn't transpire as it did with Leicester breaking up the other end, Ian Acho playing through, uh, Jewsbury Hall and him squaring for Harry Winks to score. We both thought he'd missed at first, which was very funny. Um, but obviously just in the bottom corner from Winks on the stretch. Yeah, I just thought it was a little bit naive in the dying moments from West Brom. I was surprised by that. But Leicester, I think on the balance of the game, I thought they shaded it. Particularly, I was saying the first half was really tight, but the second half, I thought they came into it a lot more. Showed the quality, started to get their midfielders in the game. And, and really start to pull West Brom apart in those wide areas a little bit more. So, over the balance of play, I don't think West Brom couldn't have too many complaints. But yeah, just just the manner of the goal, I thought I thought West Brom probably could have handled that situation a little bit better. Yeah, they will. They will be disappointed in, in the sense of that. But I think on the balance of play, certainly the second half, Leicester did shade it and they did deserve the victory. But... I suppose in the case of what you're saying there, why West Brom committed so many bodies, I suppose it's a sense of you've just scored an equaliser, your tails are up, there's a sense of energy flowing through around the ground, you're into the dying seconds. And at the end of the day, if, if West Brom had scored there, it would have been a total different scenario and everybody would have been praising it. It's just one of those things where it happens and 99 times out of 100, a breakaway of that essence doesn't really materialise. So 
I think Carlos Corbran will be a little bit disappointed, but at the same time, you've probably got to praise his team for the bravery and the willingness they showed to try and win the game. And I just think overall, like I say, Leicester did shade the game. Ndidi, Dewsbury Hall started to run the show quite considerably in that second half. Ndidi teeing Dewsbury Hall up for the, the opening goal and then Dewsbury Hall teeing up Winks for the winner. So those two certainly imposed themselves after not getting starts in midweek in that draw at Sheffield Wednesday. They were a little bit fresher and they looked energised in that second half on, on Saturday. And ultimately, it's a really important three points for Leicester who who obviously had a bit, a bit up and down of late. And had they not have won that game at the weekend, maybe a few questions would have started to creep in, perhaps. One win in four going they... the weekend. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's just, it's not exactly a, a sense of major concern, but it's sort of a little tiny stutter. But when you've been on such a run that they've been on, you do ask bigger questions. And it's, I suppose it's similar in a way to the little blip that we're seeing from Manchester City at the minute in the Premier League. Three games without a win, which is unheard of for them. Don't because we're about, so used don't to the... talk about the Premier League. You know what I mean. I've got to drop it in. It's a, it's a way of backing up my argument. But let's be honest, Leicester, four points from a couple of away games this week. Obviously against a team bottom of the league and then going to a team with a, a tremendous home record and have been in sparkling form in recent weeks. So it's quite a big victory what they managed to achieve at the weekend because that so easily could have been a banana skin for Leicester to slip up. And obviously they got the points and just tightened that grip a little bit more on the top spot. With obviously Ipswich and Leeds winning as well. Southampton coming out on top as well in the three o'clock kickoff. So a big, big win for Leicester. Harry Winks so nearly missing that chance at the end. We both thought he had missed it, as you said, but he just crept into that bottom corner and ultimately... West Brom were seconds away from getting what would have been a really good point to cap off what had been a really good week for them. Because I think when you consider the the games that West Brom had had during that seven-day period, Ipswich at home, Cardiff away, Leicester at home, that's that's three difficult games because Ipswich, as we know, have obviously been flying. Cardiff been a tough nut to crack on their own patch this season. West Brom got a 1-0 win on Tuesday night. Then obviously Leicester have been terrific all season, particularly away from home. So I don't think Carlos Corbran can be too downhearted with the week. They've had six points from nines, a, a good return when you look at who they've played. And they're in fifth spot, still in a good position, been playing some good football. And like I say, they were seconds away from getting a really good point. So they'll be disappointed in the manner in which they lost that game. But I don't think Carlos Corbran's sort of going to look at it and think we're in, uh, we, we were in a position where we need to completely rip things up and go back to the drawing board. It was just one of those freak breakaways that you see now and again and Leicester ultimately have the quality to make them pay. Yeah, I, f- I think once again, I've spoken about it a few times, Wilfred and Diddy's impact and his improvement from an offensive point of view, you know, considering, we sp- I think we spoke about it, the first game of the season against Coventry, it looked really clumsy, really cumbersome, playing in that number eight role in advanced areas. It wasn't the right fit for him. His improvement in the final third has been remarkable this season in such a short space of time. So I think we need to give credit to and Diddy and also Maresca's coaching qualities to really bring that side of the game out for him because if that's where he's going to play, which he obviously is, he's, he's a Premier League quality player, so he, he should be playing in the Championship um, and he's been fantastic for Leicester and they missed him when he was out injured, that's for sure. Ipswich Town, they carried on their momentum as well, kept the, the, the kept up with the pace that Leicester are setting. They beat Coventry City 2-1 at Portman Road. There is only one place to start and that is goal of the season from Wes Burns. I'm calling it now. That will be goal of the season, and rightly so. There, there was elements and shades of the Sunderland goal against Reading last season, which was unbelievable, albeit probably not quite as slick in terms of the build-up play, but still good enough to be mentioned in its own right. And then when you throw the finish in, which is obviously world-like, it's got to be goal of the season, hasn't it? What a, what a strike that is. If you see where he starts starts it from, the shot, it's about 10 foot outside the post and it bends back in. I think Wes Burners actually said after the game that Kieran McKenna um, had a go at him for not using his left foot, which is, is fantastic, fantastic from him. But yeah, the build-up play as well beforehand is, is sensational. Just exactly what Ipswich Town are about, playing out from the back. It's a lovely ball um, from Chaplin to open everything up to leave Davies' sort of draw Millwall in into the press on the right-hand side, play a few short passes and then Chaplin with the the vision and the um, the the mindset to just switch completely over to Leif Davis. They work it, get it back over to the opposite side. And that's what so many of the best teams do, don't they? They draw teams in, they bait the press, and they've got the quality to find the, the extra man, the space, which is 
often a switch of play. We know Man- Manchester City, if you're going to keep talking about them, and that's something that, that they are particularly strong out under Pep Guardiola as well. It's that kind of possession play, what pulls teams around. And it's an unbelievable finish at the end of it. <laughs> you feel sorry for uh, Brad Collins because he just watches it go and he's like, what am I meant to do about that? Um, un- an unbelievable goal, George. Staggering. Absolutely staggering. It was just remarkable. When I when I saw it on Saturday evening, I saw it on social media and immediately put it onto our onto our Twitter page. And I looked at it and just thought, how on earth has Wes Burns managed that? It was it was a work of art, wasn't it? And we saw last weekend, and we're making a bit of a habit here of mentioning the Premier League on this this uh, this week's episode. And it's not something we do normally. It's normally a couple of banned words that. But we saw Alejandro Garnacho arguably score the goal of the season for the Premier League last weekend for Manchester United. And I think, we, like you say, we've probably seen Wes Burns score the championship goal of the season for Ipswich at the weekend. Uh, a remarkable goal. Absolutely remarkable. Like you say, it was 10, 12 yards bending outside of the post and it's bent back in and Brad Collins, like you say, could only just stand and watch it. No keeper in the world, the very best goalkeeper in the world, the Manuel Neuer's of this world are not going to get to that. It was just absolutely unbelievable and Wes Burns will remember that for the rest of his life. It was it was just staggering. I, I doubt Portman Road has seen many goals better than that in recent years and Ipswich have scored some good ones so far this season, but that certainly topped the lot. But looking away from that goal, looking at Ipswich as a collective, Another good three points, I think it must be said. It extends that winning run at Portman Road. And I said last week, didn't I, after that West Brom defeat, that I was confident it would be nothing more than a blip, a bump in the road. West Brom, a difficult place to go. Ipswich, the run they'd been on, they they were entitled to have an off day. And they had that last week at the Hawthorns and they've responded with back-to-back wins in midweek and then at the weekend beating Millwall 3-1 in the week and then beating Coventry at the weekend as we've touched on there. And I think that's the thing for Kieran McKenna. I think the the fact that his side experienced that little blip at West Brom and they've responded with six points out of six will show to him that that's not done any damage. It's just, if if anything, it's motivated them just to develop that siege mentality that little bit more. And the, the run that they're putting together now at Portman Road is just absolutely phenomenal. I think it's eight home wins on the trot now. It's it's a remarkable return. And when you look at the Championship home table now, they've won nine of their first 10, scored 30 goals, 27 points out of 30. It's a phenomenal achievement what they've done for a newly promoted team so far. And the, the, the bonkers factor is they've got the best home record in the league and they've conceded the joint most goals at home. It's absolutely bonkers when you look the, at it that the way. The frustration from this week is probably they didn't get a clean sheet in either Conceding, game. yeah. I actually thought yeah. the goal... The own goal from Brandon Williams definitely shouldn't have stood. It is 100% a foul by Ellis Sims. He basically just shoves him in the back and knocks him into the ball and and therefore the ball goes into the bottom corner. So I definitely thought that should have been ruled out. That said, of course, Matt Godden missed a penalty, crashing off the underside of the bar. But yeah, I didn't think the own goal should have stood and I suppose that would that probably a a very small blot on the copybook in Kieran McKenna's eyes, I'd imagine, because we've spoken about the goals against Colin a fair bit. It's just a, a little bit of something to watch with Ipswich. Yeah, I think that is the only thing that you've got to sort of say about it, which in terms of a negativity, because they 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 score goals for fun. We're seeing that week in week out. They've plundered forty one goals this season. Now they're the first team in in the first, in the top three divisions of English football to pass the forty goal mark for league goals this season. But it's just that defensive standard, and, it, and it's quite strange because away from home, Ipswich have got the joint best defence, conceding only eight goals with Leicester City. But I don't know about you; it might be me, but Every time a Saturday afternoon comes around, Ipswich always seem to be at home. It's weird. They, they never seem to play away. But it's just a little bit odd because you normally associate teams with having a better defensive record at home than on their travels. And Ipswich are obviously a team that like to play on the front foot. They like to be expansive. They like to probably hurt teams. In, probably back themselves to outscore anyone at Portman Road. So they probably would. They probably would because they commit so many bodies forward. And at the end of the day, though, if if you're doing that, but you are scoring goals, you can afford to take that risk. And ultimately, as football supporters, we want to be entertained. And if you've got an Ipswich Town season ticket, you're most certainly being entertained. You're seeing your team win week, win week in, week out. But I look at Ipswich's upcoming crop of games, um, up, in, up until Boxing Day, essentially, the next five games. And I think this is going to be the real test of Ipswich's character and mentality. Three of their next five are away from home. 
and it features a real crop of really big games in the next few weeks. They've got Middlesbrough away this coming weekend, then they've got Watford away next midweek, and then there are three games between the 16th and the Boxing Day, so within a 10-day period, Norwich at home, Leeds away, Leicester at home. That is a huge crop of games for Ipswich, and the fact that they've got Leeds and Leicester back-to-back within four days over Christmas, that's going to be the real big test for this Ipswich side. So let's see where they're at at the end of this calendar year. We certainly know that they're going to be in and around the mix come the end of the year at the very, very least. But if they can go toe-to-toe with the likes of Leeds and Leicester in those games over Christmas and get maybe maybe even just three points from those two games, perhaps, that would be a really good return. Because let's not forget, this Ipswich Townside last season were a League One team. And as I've, as I've outlined with a, with a post on the, the podcast page today, Ipswich have got more points after 19 games this season in the Championship than they've got after 19 games in League One last season. So it just goes to show just how well they've stepped up. And just lastly on Ipswich, I think it's worth a mention, another goal for George Hurst as well, who's really starting to establish himself at this level now. Uh, he's certainly delivering the goods and another, another assist for Leif Davis as well. So a lot of positives for Kieran McKenna to unpack from the weekend, but just the only disappointment probably conceding that last gas goal, denying them a, a rare clean sheet really. Five goal thriller Ellen Road, George. Leeds United beating Middlesbrough 3 2. Fantastic game, which exploded into life after after seven minutes. Three goals had already gone in by the by the point that people were probably, if anyone that had arrived late, probably, oh no, we've only missed for the first 10 minutes. Well, three goals have gone in. I think it's fair to say Michael Carrick won't be very happy with the Middlesbrough defending for Dan James's equaliser. Paddy McNair doesn't even get off the ground. He then goes off, obviously, later. And the, the lesser-spotted Matt Clark, who was a, a championship stalwart and, and so good for Derby and Brighton, but he's had terrible injury luck since he went to Middlesbrough. He's been out for the best part of a year with, with a back problem. Um, he brought down Ruta after coming on. I thought it was a little bit soft, in truth. I thought the there was a challenge just before on Sam Byram on the opposite side um, by... Was it Dyke Steele? Might have been Dyke Steele's that looked more like a penalty, if I'm honest. I thought that was a penalty, and I thought the Ruter one was a little bit soft. But either way, Joel Perot made it 3-1 and converted. Somerville had made it 2-1 with a back post header. And then we got another Latty Laugh goal. He obviously scored the first one in the near post past Meslier. I think Meslier probably should have done better. There's been a f- He's had a good season, Meslier, but I do feel like there's been a few goals where you look, look at him and kind of think, how has that gone in? I'm not sure how that's got past you, really. Um, and then it was a, a good header, again, set-pieces, Leeds United, particularly Ellen Road, like, when, when you think of set-pieces, but they've really struggled to defend corner kicks in particular this season. Bristol City springs to mind, there's been a few more as well. But they did navigate the, the second half pretty well. They could have made it more comfortable after Dyke Steele was, was fairly sent off for a second yellow card. It's now seven wins in a row at Ellen Road. They're back on the two points per game average, which is what we say that if you can hit two points per game across the course of a season, you'll get automatic promotion. Well, that might not be the case this year because of the pace that Leicester City and Ipswich are setting. But I still think Leeds United are best set to challenge for that top two. And I still think Leeds United will be right on the coattails of Leicester and Ipswich when we get into the final months of the season. I think the former Ellen Road is it's turned it into a bit of a fortress. Daniel Farker's got a really good grip on the club. Now the transfer window was short, which is what we said would happen. And he's got so much talent in the squad. Somerville's playing out of his skin. Dan James has been brilliant as well. And let's not forget Dan James got loaned out to Fulham last year. You know, he was someone they obviously went after. And famously, the deal broke down on deadline day. He ended up going back there eventually under Bielsa. Wasn't fancied by Jesse March, ended up getting loaned out. So there was no reason he would necessarily be a part of the plans this season. But Farkas really brought him in back into the fold, he's um, revitalised him and he's scoring goals and he looks like a real threat. And he, he looks like he's bulked up a little bit from the last time I watched him regularly. And as I say, with the, that sort of spring for the for the equaliser, yes, it's not good defending, but I'm not sure he would have scored that goal a few years ago. So he's got both wingers playing with great confidence. Willie Nonto can't get a game. You've got Jaden Anthony sat on the bench as well. Good time for Leeds United at the moment. Still a little bit suspect defensively at times, but a really good win against a very good team in Middlesbrough, an informed side and, and not an easy team to beat. Definitely. And it, to be honest with you, it was a game that I actually fancied during the week, looking at the fixtures for the weekend, that I thought this could have goals in it. 
Uh, and obviously that delivered very quickly as well, it must be said. But I think, first of all, you've you've got to mention Dan James because there's been a hell of a lot of praise focused on Leeds in terms of individuals in recent weeks. And it's all pretty much been nosed on Crescencio Somerville, hasn't it? Obviously, he's been in a rich vein of form. He won the Player of the Month for, for October. Uh, could be with a chance for November as well, to be fair to him. But Dan James, you look at his numbers... He's got five goals in his last six games now. He, he's got six goals and four assists this season. He's into double figures for them combined. And it's probably gone under the radar a little bit with, with people outside of Leeds United. And I think the header that he scored on, on Saturday against Borough was was very, very impressive, it must be said. And like you say, that is probably as a result of improved athletic levels and things like that. Because, Confidence like you say, he's, yeah, he's, he's bulked up. He does look stronger as a character and... I think probably mentally as well. He's like you say, the confidence is clearly there for him now. Daniel Farker's playing him week in, week out on that right hand side, and with him, Somerville, Ruter, Perrault, that front four. Like I've said many times on this podcast in the last few weeks, it's arguably the best in the division because there is so many goals within that quality and assists as well. Perrault, Somerville also on target at the weekend, uh, goals in the week as well for for James and uh, um, Perrault. And you look at Leeds and you do actually think now they are just sort of waiting for one of Leicester or Ipswich to potentially falter because they've got such a, a spring in their step at the minute. They're, they're six games unbeaten. They've won five in that run. The only blip that they've had really since the end of September was that 1-0 defeat at Stoke City. Apart from that, they've in been on the ball and they, they could have won the penalty that. And conceded an I was just going to say, they, they could have won that game. Bamford missing from the spot. So, Daniel Farker, like we said at the beginning of the season with the way the recruitment went in terms of having to shift players out before they came in, they were always going to be playing catch-up a little bit. And they did start slowly, let's not forget. Leeds only won one of their first five games this season. And that was away at Ipswich, one of the hardest game of the five. Um, they were held at home by Cardiff and Sheffield Wednesday. They, they lost at Birmingham. So, you know, they, they had a few results at the start of the season that made you think maybe they are going to struggle and going to be a little bit of a relegation hangover. But in the last few weeks, they've been on it. And their home form is is very, very impressive. It must be said, you mentioned their seven wins on the trot at home. That They're beginning as well, with the exception of the Plymouth game, they're starting to turn the screw on teams a little bit and blow teams away. And I look at Leeds' next run of games, and you've got to say that it's an opportunity. Certainly not easy, because there are some difficult assignments coming up. But if they're at their, their very best levels... They are arguably one of the best teams in this division and they've got Blackburn away at the weekend. Then they've got Sunderland away midweek, then back-to-back home games prior to Christmas against Coventry and then that big showdown with Ipswich on the 23rd of December. So big four games for these, certainly no easy assignments in there. But their home form, you look at that and think, if they can use that to their advantage, they're going to be thereabouts. But I think the thing for Leeds where a little bit of a test might come is the fact that I think four of their next seven are now on the road. So if they can just continue just to do what they're doing, they, they're just going to be there or thereabouts, but they're just sort of waiting for Leicester or Ipswich to have a little bit of a slip. So going to be interesting to see how, how things unfold. But that game with Ipswich on the 23rd, probably one to mark for your diary as a neutral, should be a really interesting game. Though. I think it's on TV as well, hardly surprising. But I think when you look at what Daniel Falk is trying to do, trying to build there, the way he's moulded that front four together. And then you've got to mention the players further back, such as your Archie Grays, your Kamaras. They're all having an input on this. But that front four, James Somerville, Ruter, Perrault, it's a formidable quartet to have at this level. And the statistics prove it. I think the only disappointment for Daniel Farker will be the fact that they're just not managing to get over the line with clean sheets at the minute. They've gone four games without keeping one of those. So that'll be a disappointing factor for him. But aside from that, the scoring goals, the winning games... I doubt he's got too many complaints. No, absolutely not. Another manager that probably hasn't got too many complaints right now is Russell Martin because Southampton are in great form. 2-0 winners over Cardiff City at the weekend. Again, just like Legion, well, Legion United are on two points per game, but Southampton just short of that, which would, as I say, be enough for automatic promotion. And when you consider the start, that's a really good effort from them. They're now 11 games unbeaten with five wins in their last six. Back-to-back clean sheets as well. And it feels like the Russell Martin era is really starting to gather some momentum. There's there's clear patterns of play. There's clear 
there's so much better control than they had. The the they don't look as as vulnerable and susceptible. They seem to have worked out how to stop teams counterattacking them and hurting them in transition when they do give the ball away, which is inevitable when you're operating at championship level and playing this possession heavy style of football. And they've got one of the championship's best strikers in their ranks in Adam Armstrong, who scored goals number 100 and 101 in his career. And we've already been through the stats. He's basically a one in two in the last two and a half seasons at championship level. And he scored twice in the opening 15 minutes to win the game for them. They could have had some more goals. They could have really stuck the boot in. But as I say, they just they dominated the second half without really killing Cardiff. But they're now showing more elements of control in their play, which they did not have in the opening weeks of the season. The team is more settled, the back line particularly, with um, Harwood, Bellis and Bednarek clearly the preferred partnership. Now that Harwood, Bellis has got up to speed, because he did look a little bit shaky in the first few weeks when he came in, but he came in right at the end of the window. So that's quite understandable. But we saw how good he was for Burnley last season, particularly in a team that wants to dominate possession and has the talent advantage in most championship games. So it's no surprise to me the defensive form has improved and it has remarkably. And I think that just just working on the training ground with Russell Martin is clearly having an impact in this Southampton team. They they were winning games late, and that probably is why we haven't gone over the top on the form. But now we're starting to see more dominance, more real control in these performances. And, and it deserves to be recognised because 11 games unbeaten and five wins in six, considering where they were, what, six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, is, is, a, is a big turning point for him because he was under a lot of pressure after five defeats in a row at one stage. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with that. I think the thing with Southampton now is they're a lot less erratic than what they were. I think that's probably the way you, you are best to judge Southampton, where we saw a lot of games where they were they were sort of having to leave it right to the death or try and outscore opponents. They had a few few score draws in there. And I think now they seem to have found that rhythm and that ability to play the Russell Martin way. And it is slowly building up. Obviously, since they went on that losing streak in September, they've gone 11 unbeaten, five wins in the last six, and so easily could have been six in the last six, blowing it so late on at Huddersfield last weekend. They are starting to climb and gather real momentum. And like I've said for other teams already this season, when you've got players of quality in the top end of the pitch, like your Adam Armstrong, you're going to be able to hurt teams. And he's obviously bagged a brace at the weekend. He's got four in his last four games now. And when you look at his numbers overall for this season, 12 goals, four assists in 19 games, he's doing exactly what you would have expected Adam Armstrong to do at this level because he did it so frequently for Blackburn Rovers, went to the Premier League with Southampton, didn't really cut the mustard at that level. Though he was in a struggling team, I think it's fair to say you've got to, got to bear that in mind. But at this level, he, he's one of the best in the business. He, his goals record speaks for itself and he's a, he's a brilliant player, simple as that. But... Overall, Russell Martin now is sort sort of establishing himself as one of the top end managers in this level for obviously having a really good group of players. And I don't mean this with any disrespect to what he had at Swansea City, but this is a much better group of players. And obviously that was a considerable amount of pressure load on his shoulders. And I think it's fair to say at the start of the season, obviously start of the season before things settle down, there are teams that have little bursts and I mean, Preston are a prime example. They had a great start to the season and we see how they've tailed off. But Southampton took 10 points from their first four games. Then that losing run hit. And since then, they've been absolutely superb. That win over Leeds just triggered a a complete shift in momentum. So if you take out that run in September that they had, Russell Martin's had a very, very good start to this tenure uh, at St Mary's. And I think Southampton, again, are another team that will be looking and waiting potentially for Ipswich or Leicester to slip up. Obviously, there's a bit more of a gap between them and the top two than there is with Leeds in the top two. But Southampton, if they keep this up, just keep grinding their way through these wins, I think they've certainly got a fancy their chances of being in and around there. They're certainly going to expect to be in the top six at the very, very least. That was the expectation at the beginning of the season. But I think the thing for Southampton, and I don't mean this, if any Saints fans listening, thought, listening to this sort of thing, you're just saying it because of the crop of fixtures. I think with the exception of the game against West Brom, Southampton have had quite a favourable run in the last few weeks. They've had some better-looking fixtures on paper, but it shows... You can only be what's they found it, though, can't you? And they exactly. weren't, they they weren't found winning those to... games in the, in the yeah. run they were on. They've found a way to get through those games. They've not 
sort of taken those teams lightly. And if you can beat those teams, that's where you're going to pick up the bulk of your points. So I think that's really important that Southampton have approached this period. And like I say, with the exception of West Brom, the games against the likes of Birmingham, Millwalls, your Bristol Cities, your Cardiffs, they're, they're games, certainly at home, they're games if you want to go for the top six, you've got to win at this level. And Russell Martin's finding a way to do that. So things certainly looking rosy for them at the minute. A good unbeaten run, 11 in now. And the the longer they can sustain that, the more confidence the team and the management team is going to get from that. Looking at the next few games, again, not the hardest run in the world, but certainly not the easiest. Watford away at the weekend, then Coventry away next midweek. Southampton are up and at it. They can easily win those games. They are better teams than those two. And I don't mean that with any disrespect. Then Blackburn at home, QPR away just prior to Christmas. So three away in the next four. That's going to be a bit of a test for Russell Martin. However, when you're on an 11-game unbeaten streak, you you are high on confidence and nobody sort of stands in your way. You go in there, you get the job done and sort of in, in the Southampton way, you might, the Saints go marching in and you get the job done. So let's see what they can do between now and Christmas. But another good win at the weekend. Adam Armstrong on fire. And ultimately, Southampton now playing a, a brand of football, controlling and not erratic and not sort of dangling a leg in there and sort of thinking, oh, we might score one here, but we're easily going to get caught out at the other end on the break. That seems to, they seem to have eradicated that from their play now. And that is clearly an element because when you think back to that four-game losing run that they had when they got picked off by Leicester on that Friday night, they were absolutely abysmal defensively. Much improved, back-to-back clean sheets. So, yeah, two goals conceded in five as well. It's a lot, lot better defensively. Sheffield Wednesday picked up their second win of the championship season. They beat Blackburn Rovers 3-1 at Hillsborough. I thought that Wednesday were really good in the first 25 minutes. Obviously scored early through Bailey Cadamartri, scoring his first goal for the club, his first senior goal to make it 1-0. He's come through the academy. He's been with the club since he was eight years old. So really great story there. It was uh, Josh Windass that provided the assist. Back to the days where Dean Windass was uh, was picking out picking out Kadamatri's dad as well. So there's a nice bit of story there, a nice bit of narrative. And it was a really good finish, a good move from Wednesday with Bannon lifting it over the top for Windass to square. Um, and then Rovers, they, they started quite sloppy. It was definitely the most laboured performance of the week from Blackburn with injuries just decimating their squad at the moment. They, they're really struggling for bodies at the minute. Um, basically got nearly a full team out of players that, that are senior players and would be starting if not on the bench. Um, but they did have chances. Hayden Carter produced really good block from Diaby. Smodix denied by Dawson. And then the Championship's top scorer got goal number 14 for the season as he headed in at the back post. And I felt from that point onwards, there only looked like there was going to be one winner. Wednesday had got the momentum. Uh, Blackburn had got the momentum. They got themselves level. And then Wednesday pulled the rabbit out of the hat and got themselves back in front. They'd not really created anything in the second half. It was it was similar to what we've seen under Danny Real, where... They've had really good pockets of play, but they've not been able to string a 90-minute performance. And this was one of the um, lower points of this performance where they dipped in energy levels. Blackburn were coming onto them. And then obviously it's a, there's a bit of controversy about the goal. Was it a foul? I think that... I think if you're a Wednesday fan looking at it, I think you'll say it's six and one and half a dozen of the other. I think if you're of the Blackburn Rovers persuasion, you'll say it was a definite foul. And it's it, Patterson doesn't make any play... T- for the ball, does he? He just grabs hold of James Hill. So, I suppose anywhere else on the pitch, it, it is a foul. He's not tried to play the ball. I can understand why it irked Yondal Thomason, who was subsequently sent off, um, because it, it was the decisive moment in the game. It was the changing changing momentum. And when, look, Wednesday were good value for the win. They, they played well. I think a draw would probably have been the fair result, because I think both teams had spells for 25 minutes, half an hour, where they were quite clearly on top. And ultimately, I think a point apiece would have been fair. That said, you certainly didn't walk away from Hillsborough and think Wednesday stole it or anything like that. And equally, if Blackburn had won it, I think it would have been harsh on Wednesday because they were really good, particularly in that opening half an hour, whilst they had to make a couple of good staves to stop them going 2-0 ahead. And what we've seen with Wednesday is when they have started brightly but haven't scored, I'm thinking the Millwall game particularly recently, they've gone under. They didn't go under this time. They, they, they rode the storm. Maybe they got a bit of fortune with the refereeing decision. It, I, I genuinely think it's a bit 50-50, 60-40 maybe. They, it might have been a foul, but ultimately they, they, they showed better resilience. I thought they, they were really good for half an hour and, and Danny Real will be delighted with this week to have pick up, picked up four points from Leicester at home and Blackburn 
at home, a side that had won the last four games away from home. Really, really, really good week for Sheffield Wednesday. Excellent week for Sheffield Wednesday. I've I've been at both games this week. Really, really enjoyed the game on Saturday. I must say, I thought, even if you were a neutral watching that game on Saturday, I just thought it was a really good, entertaining 90 minutes of football. It was a good game to watch. And, and ultimately, Wednesday found a way to get the job done and a huge way to sign off uh, what's been a, a fairly solid week. Obviously, the defeat at Birmingham was a little bit underwhelming, but then they got that point against Leicester City, which was fully merited in the week. People will look at that and think 93rd minute smash and grab, but Wednesday fully warranted that point. Some Leicester fans said Wednesday even deserved to win the game, the amount of chances that they had. But on Saturday, I thought Wednesday, though they didn't have the control of the game for 90 minutes, they they had a real spring in their step and there was a confidence about them and they looked up and at it from the off. That high-pressing game that Danny Rill wants to play within the first 20, 25 minutes, it caused Blackburn a hell of a lot of problems, just in the same way it did Leicester in the week. So... I think it's quite clear that you can see what Danny Rill is trying to do. And a lot of fans of the, the 23 other championship clubs have probably looked at Wednesday's results under him and so far and probably thought he's not really had any sort of impact there. Only won two Ooh. of his first eight games. One, one winning seven going into the weekend, weren't they? It was. When you look at what he's doing, though, and if you analyse the performances, Wednesday have been getting a hell of a lot better and admittedly, they couldn't have got any worse from what they were producing under Chisco Munoff. But you can sort of sense that Danny Rill could be on to something at Hillsborough. Obviously, the position in the league is still really, really poor. They are bottom still. Let's not forget that. But four points from Leicester and Blackburn for a team bottom of the league who's been struggling just to put the ball in the net is a really, really healthy return. And Obviously, I'm saying this as a Wednesday supporter, but I do genuinely believe over the long term, Danny Rill could be on to something at Hillsborough. He's certainly got a clear way that he wants to play his football. And like I've maintained since his appointment, you don't work with Bayern Munich and the German national team by the age of 34 if you've not got something about you. He's very, very highly rated. The players are clearly buying into what he wants to do. So for him, it's been a really, really good week. But as for the game itself on Saturday... Thought Wednesday played well. Brilliant start for Kadamatri to get his first goal and what was just his second league start. And Josh Windass as well, his first goal of the season. First for Marvin Johnson too. It really was an afternoon of first, really. But I thought, and personally, I thought the standout performer for Wednesday was Will, Will Vaux in the middle. I would agree he with was that. I thought very, Vaux, very good. Vaux was the best performer. And, and particularly when was, Wednesday were on top, it was excellent. the midfield where they dominated. He was he was superb, Will Vaux, and he followed it up because he was brilliant in the weekends, Leicester as well. And you look at his numbers from the game on Saturday and they were really impressive. Bearing in mind, he is a defensive midfielder. He completed four key passes. He got the assist for Johnson's goal. And he just was really well-rounded. Wednesday looked a lot more solid with him at the base of that midfield three. And I think you've got to credit Bambo Diaby as well. He probably had his best game since he joined the club. He looked really solid. Deshaun Bernard too. For Blackburn... Just one of those days, isn't it? I think he obviously decimated by injury problems. The bench was completely unrecognisable for the most part. Disappointed with obviously the way that they conceded that second goal with what happened in the build-up. But had it been had, it, had the shoe been on the other foot, I don't think they'd have been overly fussed. And that's the way football works. It's just the way it goes. But I think six points out of nine from a week's work for Blackburn is not the worst return bearing. Stoke away, Birmingham at home. Six out of nine, this stage of the season, are in a good spot. But I think Saturday obviously belonged to Wednesday and they're certainly now looking up. Next few games on paper for the Owls look reasonably favourable. Certainly got fans of the chances. Stoke away next. Norwich away, not easy there on the bit of an upward curve at the minute. But then QPR at home a week before Christmas could be a big one. But certainly things looking a lot better for the Owls. And I think arguably Danny Rill now starting to get the results. His hard work and Wednesday performances, to be fair, have deserved even bigger week for Queen's Park Rangers, George, and for Marty Sifuentes getting his first win in midweek against Stoke City and then beating Preston North End 2-0 at Deepdale. Fantastic win for them. It was a terrible first half in horrific conditions. Like If you looked at the pitch before the game, it could you wouldn't have been appalled if it had been called off because the players certainly struggled, didn't they? It was not a half filled with quality. The decisive moment was Ilya Cher coming on at half time. He gave the match a bit of a bit of end product, a bit of quality, a bit of impetus. Um, his cross for Paul Smith to bundle in, and, and that really was the def- definition of bundling in. Very scrappy at the back post, but 
he didn't care one bit. And then the same for Chris Willock, where he gets to the line, gets it across, and Willock scores for 2-0. And I felt like, when I said on last week's podcast, we feel like we've seen positive signs from QPR since Sifuentes came in, a clear style of play, a clear identity. And I suppose that that is the thing that, although the results for Rural at Wednesday and for Sifuentes at QPR haven't immediately uplifted to the point where you like, might raise heads from people outside of the club, I think the big thing under Wednesday with Cisco was there was no discernible style of play. And I think under Ainsworth at QPR, there was a discernible style of play, but it was bloody awful to watch. So both <laughs> managers have come in and I feel like they've really done well to get their philosophies and their ideologies across really quickly. And we're now starting to see both managers uh, that, you know, a bit of fruit from their labour in the points coming on the board. Really good win for QPR. Leaves them four points from safety now. And if, Huddersfield hadn't had the week they've had as well, then they'd, they'd be level on points with them. So they've got a really good chance to gain out if they can continue this form. 100% couldn't agree more. Watched the game on Friday night and the first half, it was a complete snooze fest. I must admit, I was I was beginning to regret my decision not to watch the uh, the Lionesses taking on Holland. But I stuck with it and Ilias Chair brought a little bit of magic to the party in the second half, didn't he? He was, he was the game changer ultimately and he he was the man that crafted both of QPR's goals. And what a week for him, what a week for QPR and what a week for the manager, Marty Sifuentes, who of course, like you said, got that first win against Stoke in the week. Six points out of nine, solid return. He's won eight points from his first five games. And like you said, comparing them to Sheffield Wednesday, there is a clear uplift in performances and style of play. And that, that's the thing, isn't it? People who don't watch those teams week in, week out, just look at the results on a Saturday evening and see, oh, they've lost again. You don't sort of read in and recognise the way the team's evolving and improving, even though, even though the results may not be there. But that wasn't the case for QPR over the past few days. And obviously, the Stoke game, they, they were 2-1 down in that game. They were 1-0 up originally. They went 2-1 down then came back and got the win. Big morale-boosting victory in midweek. But then, obviously, they went to Preston. And in the first half, it, Preston probably edged it. And that is very, very, very slightly. It was a, it was an awful game. It really was. It was shocking. It was, no doubt, the worst 45 minutes of Championship football I've seen this season. But QPR second half, they certainly carried more, more impetus about them. And Ilias Chair, obviously, down that left-hand side, crafting two goals beautiful delivery for the first one. Finished not quite as spectacular, but the cross was sublime. And for the second, obviously, he's just picked Preston off and Chris Willett there to tap it in for the second. And the fact that QPR are now starting to get sort of chair and Willett back, and it's not a case where they've been injured or anything, seriously. It was it's sort one of a case where they just weren't used it? properly. They yeah, very rarely they weren't played used together. Properly. Why you wouldn't maximise two quality players who we've we've seen time and again in the last two or three years, when they're at their best, they're two of the best individuals in the championship. And let's not forget, there was reports in the summer that Ilias Chair was being linked with a move to Leicester City. And with the, the financial clout that Leicester had got, the players that they've got now, they were only going to look for the very, very best at this level. And Ilias Chair, when at his best, is probably one of the best players in this league. So a huge result for QPR. Thoroughly deserved on the, on the balance of the second half. As for Preston, though... It's been a really, really poor time for them. Obviously, they were beaten so late on. Two wins in 12. It's really poor. And a lot of people sort of said this would happen, didn't they? After that flying start to the season that they made, a lot of people tipped that this drop-off would come. And it's been it's been quite remarkable just how poor it's been. And obviously, they, they won two in a row prior to this current losing streak that they're on, beating Coventry and then winning at Ewood Park against Blackburn. They lost in dramatic fashion against Cardiff, a game they should have seen out and won. Obviously got absolutely crucified by Middlesbrough in the week. And then were obviously outdone at the weekend by, by Queen's Park Rangers. So, but right and low, there's work to be done because it's four defeats in six now. Two wins in 12, as you said. And I think as well as that, what you are starting to know is by and large in this run, there's been a lot of games where they failed to score. The goals have dried up. So, big work for Ryan Lowe to do and... Ultimately, it just even though things can change quickly, as we've seen with Preston's good run going to a bad one, there's nothing to say they can go on a good run again. Is it going to be another season of mid-table mediocrity for this team? Because it's certainly their current form suggests that. So a lot of work for Ryan Lowe to do. Maybe a clean week on the training ground this week with no midweek games might might be useful. 
But they've certainly got to try and find a way to get out of this little slump. And like I say, just one goal scored in three matches as well. That'll be a concern because Preston have got quality players in that team when they want to put their minds to it, like Frockoy and some Will Keane had a good start to the season. But in recent weeks, they've just tailed off. And at the, at the minute, you would say Preston fans have got every right to be angry. Saw a stat in midweek that Preston have conceded four or more goals in 11 occasions under Ryan Lowe. And it just shows that they're so competitive in most games, but when they go under, they really do go under. And that certainly happened at Middlesbrough in the week. And a poor performance backing that up on Friday night against QPR. Plymouth Argyle, George, they beat Stoke City 2-1. A big week for Argyle, sealed in the 96th minute from Joe Randall. And that that's put further pressure on Alex Neal, who has lost all three games since the international break. All, you know, pretty emphatically as well. Obviously, it was a late winner at home part, but the the defeat to QPR in the week 4-2, albeit Ender Stevens sent off, losing to Blackburn in the manner they did. And with Stoke in 20th place, I think it's fair for questions to be asked about Alex Neal. We both like him and respect the body of work he's got in the Championship, but they are underperforming again. And they've continually took one step forward and then two or three back under his regime. He looked like he'd finally cracked it in March. And like February, I said that. The form they went in, they beat Coventry 4-0 at uh, Coventry. And it was a brilliant performance. They signed 19 players in the summer. They still look like they've got holes in the squad. They still look like there's gaps. And it was a huge outlay and investment in the summer. So for them to be sat in 20th place, a couple of places above the relegation zone, he's got to be under pressure, hasn't he? Well, you'd certainly think so because the Stoke City supporters are within their rights to expect better. Let's not forget this Stoke team dropped out of the Premier League. Was it 2018, five years ago now, nearly six years ago? They've got nowhere close to even getting back there anytime soon. They've just been from one disastrous season to another, it seems. And this season at the moment suggests it could be the same because, like you said, they ended last season quite well. They had that really good run around Easter time and it featured that that big win away at Coventry. It looked as though prior to the international break that Alex Neal again had cracked the code. They they went on that five-game unbeaten run albeit the last two games of that run were, were nil-nil draws, I believe. But since the international break, like you say, they've been they've been awful. Cut to shreds by Blackburn, well beaten by QPR in the end. Then obviously edged out by Plymouth right at the death, but Plymouth probably deserved the win with the game, the, the, the way that the game went. So there's a lot of pressure on Stoke. And all of a sudden now, with what we've seen in the past week or so with the, the flip of momentum and things, Probably Sheffield Wednesday at home next weekend for Stoke all of a sudden looks quite a difficult task because the Owls are going to go there with a hell of a lot of confidence from those four points they've recorded at Hillsborough. And Wednesday obviously yet to win away from home this season. They're going to be desperate to correct that. So I think for Stoke, that game against the Owls next weekend is a is a huge assignment. Then they've got Swansea at home in, in the midweek. And then they've got West Brom away, which won't be easy. And then Millwall at home in their final game prior to Christmas. So three of the next four are at home. Stoke's home form, we know, isn't the best. So this is a really could be a make-or-break period for Alex Neal. It could define whether he's in a job or not come Christmas Day, perhaps, because I can't see Stoke's hierarchy willing to stick with this if this, this form persists. And similarly to Preston, they're not scoring goals all that often as well. They've only scored three times now in the last five games. And I think when you look at the players that Stoke have got, they are capable of better, but Alex Neal is a good enough manager, you would think, based on what he's done in the past, to be getting more out of them. So it's a, it's a really strange conundrum and it just begs the question of a case of, do Stoke sort of sit, stick with Alex Neal instead of going through this cycle of changing managers, which clearly hasn't worked in the last few years? They've chopped and changed quite a bit and they've made no progress as a result of it. So do they let him ride this little bit of a blip that he's encountering? see how long it potentially persists for. At the end of the day, if, if Stoke win these two home games coming up, we're going, to be, we're going to be talking about a bit of a different situation again. So it really is a case of, because the games are coming so thick and fast at the moment, it's relentless in this run-up to Christmas. It's hard to sort of gauge if a team is sort of producing a couple of good results as a flash in the pan or onto a good run. And it, it did look prior to the international break that Stoke were going on that run. I mean, they beat Sunderland. They beat Leeds, then they won at Middlesbrough, which was really an eye-catching result. And then they failed to get anything in terms of three points against Cardiff and Coventry, drawing 0-0 in both games. So 
Really weird one, really odd, but things have got to improve quickly. But for Plymouth, it's just a case of if you go to home park, nine times out of ten, you're going to get beaten. They are making that place a fortress again, just like they did last year in the in League One. 19 and points from 10 games at home park for Plymouth. It's three, a very healthy return. 27 away from home. That's the thing. That it's weird, we isn't it? We knew where the points were going to come from we this season before we the game started. And ultimately, if you were going to pick up the vast majority of points at home, if you're fighting to stay in the league, which ultimately was Plymouth's objective at the beginning of the season and still will be, they're, they're doing the job. I mean, if you'd have offered a Plymouth fan at this stage of the season to be on level points with, with Coventry, who were beaten playoff finalists last season, you probably would have taken that at this stage a few weeks before Christmas. So, Plymouth ticking along nicely. I think you've got to remember just how far this football club has come. It wasn't long ago they were playing in League Two. They've been on a dramatic rise. They've got a plan in place to build year on year in the eventuality of getting to the Premier League and stabilising as a proper championship club again after so many years in Leagues One and Two. But I think Stephen Schumacher will be delighted the way that they dug in at the weekend. Keep going, 97th minute winner. And again, for them, similar as I mentioned to Blackburn earlier on, six points out of nine in the week, beating Sunderland last weekend, lost at midweek at Coventry, but they got back on the horse, got back in the saddle and got three points at the weekend. So if Plymouth just keep doing what they're doing at home, I've no concerns. And like I said at the beginning of the season, Plymouth were never a team that I considered to be in trouble this season. I think I had them in 14th in our 1-24s. And like you said, they're doing what we expected, making home park a fortress. So long may it continue for them. Watford, one of the surprised results of the weekend. They're up to 10th after a good week, back-to-back wins. They beat Hull City 2-1 at the MKM Stadium, um, following up a, a comeback victory, two-goal comeback victory against Norwich in the week at Vicarage Road. Paul Wesley, who you score a goal like that and it would be goal of the weekend. It would be goal of the season most of the time. But unfortunately, Wes Burns definitely takes the uh, take the gong, in my opinion. But what a great strike that was. Wins the ball. I didn't know he got it in him to kick it that far. Never mind to put it that accurately. Brilliant opportunist strike. Winning the ball 50 yards from goal and, and lobbing um, Ryan Olsop in the Hull City goal. He didn't make a great attempt to go for it. I will say that, though. It, was, it wasn't like he flung himself at the ball. But yeah, brilliant goal worthy of winning any game. Kayembe had put the Hornets ahead as well. Scott Twine with an equaliser, his second goal of the season and two in two for him. Hopefully that, that's the start of him starting to add a few more goal contributions to his performances. But Watford have been a team where we felt all season they've probably been a little bit better than the results. The underlying numbers certainly suggest that. Maybe they're starting to come out the other side of that a little bit now and the results are starting to follow. Up to 10th, which is, from memory, the highest they've been certainly for for a while in the season and Valerie Ismail can be very happy with the the week that they've had. And th- this is no mean feat to go to Hull and, and beat them. Hull's sixth in the table and to go there and win is a, is a statement of intent. Definitely. And Watford very, very quietly and perhaps under the radar are just beginning to string a little patch of form together that's perhaps not getting the credit it deserves. And just a few stats to reel out here from, from, from what they achieved following the weekend. It's three wins in the last four now. Obviously, back-to-back wins. Scored 10 goals in the last four and just one defeat in their last nine as well. So it's quite clear that Valerie and Ismail is starting to get a tune relatively consistently out of this team. And let's not forget, they came out from 2-0 down against Norwich in the week to win that game as well. So they've certainly got fighting spirit within themselves to, to get themselves out of awkward spots and difficult situations. So they deserve credit for that. And I think the, the thing about Watford now is, is because they've been on a been on a bit of a, a journey where they've obviously chopped and changed managers so much. They've sort of now not considered as one of the, the top-end championship teams you like that you automatically presume are going to be in the top two races. We did the last few times they've been in this league. Watford now, I think, they've got less pressure on them, certainly externally. They're not considered as one of the big hitters in this division. I don't mean that with any disrespect. Obviously, the Watford fans will want promotion every single season, and that's quite right. But when you compare the, the top, top teams in this league, like your Leicesters, your Leeds, your Southampton, even maybe even your West Broms these days, Watford probably aren't in the same bracket. Their recruitment went down a different road in the summer, but ultimately it's working. Valerie Nismel is getting a consistent tune out of this team. And like I say, one defeat in nine, and that was away at Leicester, which there's no real disgrace in at all. 
So I think you've got to give Valerie Ismail huge amounts of credit because unassumingly, like I say, and under the radar a little bit, they're stringing together quite an impressive piece of form and playing some good football in the process. And obviously Wesley Hoyt's goal on Saturday was the, the main talking point. Fabulous wonder goal. Not quite sure why the goalkeeper's shouting at his defenders in that situation. All goalkeepers <laughs> that do it. Mean, it just it always bad. makes me laugh. All goalkeepers, when they're lobbed from like 40, 50 yards, they just turn around and scream because they don't know what to do with themselves. I feel like that's what so happened every goal. That goal was that. Well, maybe. But in that situation, it just seems stupid to me. But Watford's next crop of games are going to test them. Certainly the next two. Back-to-back home games, Southampton and then Ipswich. That's going to be a real test for Valerini's male side. But they've been quite good at home so far this season. And four of their next six are at home. Um, and then their two away games are Preston and Blackburn in the week before Christmas, give or take. So a, a, a big period coming up for Watford. Like I said, the next two in Ipswich, they're going to be a real test of their credentials. But when you look at the run they've been on and the confidence they will have gained from it, they'll fancy their chances. So going to be interesting to see where Valerie Ismail can take this team over the next few weeks. But overall, they've probably deserved a hell of a lot more credit than what they've been given by the wider championship community in the past few weeks. One defeat in nine, as I say, three wins in four, scoring goals at a better rate than they were. So a lot to like about Watford. And let's not forget, Hull have been in a really good run of form lately, certainly at home. So that was a really impressive victory for for, for Watford. But for Jaden Philogene, missing a penalty, that will really haunt him. The run of form he's been in, you'd have put your house on him scoring. But uh, I don't think Liam Rossini can be too downhearted. They've had a good good few weeks, Hull. And I'm sure they'll they'll try and get back at it at the first possible attempt. But for Watford, really impressive. Valerie Ismail, to be fair to him, he's doing a sterling job so far. And then finally, George, Bristol City 1, Norwich City 2. A really good comeback win for the Canaries, conti- continuing their resurgence under David Wagner. Three wins in four. I thought there were some similarities to the Cardiff game that they won, obviously, late on there. Bristol City dominated the first half, took the lead through Jason Knight, and, and I thought they could have killed it. They did have some opportunities. Angus Gunn pulled off a couple of saves, a couple of last-ditch blocks. There were chances for Bristol City to really get that second goal, stick the knife in, and that probably would have been too much. But Norwich hung in, as they did at the Cardiff City Stadium, got themselves level, a little bit of fortune with the own goal from George Tanner, cross from Giannoulis, deflecting in at the near post. Lovely ball, it has to be said, over the top from Gabriel Sara. No change there. And then the winner for Adam Eder, we've, we've spoken about his struggles in front of goal. Um, obviously, he was on the bench again with Ashley Barnes now fit again um, and Huang unavailable. It's a good ball over the top. He does well to get the better of Viner and he, he's got the pace to get in behind and, and finish in the last few seconds. Really good scenes with Wagner going down the touchline, very Mourinho-esque at Old Trafford for those that remember in the Champions League. Um, and yeah, it's been a good good couple of weeks for him. Three wins in four is important because they lost in midweek and suddenly having been 2-0 up as well, the 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 um, the discourse changes, the, the mood goes back to, mm, we need to make a change. So we don't see many managers come back from the brink in the way Wagner has, but three wins in four is certainly going to do his job no harm. And let's be fair, probably would have been sacked if it had not been for the director of football situation. So he's got to take full advantage of that and make sure that... Um, it takes, yeah, I say it, it maximizes the games that he's got to, to try and turn it around. Well, yeah, definitely. And I think that you're saying there, would he have been sacked had it not been for the, the director of football situation? Would he have been sacked had they not completed that dramatic comeback at Cardiff to kickstart this mini revival? Let's not forget, Norwich were, were 2 1 down with eight minutes to go in that game, and they came back and won 3 2. And had they have lost that, it would have been five defeats in a row and six defeats in seven. So. It would have been very, very easy for Norwich to turn around and sack him had they have lost that game. And I remember saying after that Cardiff game on the, the 11th of November it was, I said, will this be a flash in the pan, freak result, or will it kickstart a mini run? And ultimately it has kickstarted a mini run. And I think David Wagner will just be disappointed the fact that they could have had four wins out of four. They were 2-0 up at Watford in that game in midweek last week. And obviously they blew it and lost 3-2. But three wins in four considering they've had three away games in there, they've had a home game against an improving QPR team whose confidence has been on the rise. It's a really, really good return for Norwich. And they've now got back-to-back home games coming up, which is against Preston, who are obviously having a having a really difficult spell at the moment, then Sheffield Wednesday. Then they've got the big East Anglian derby away at Ipswich. 
And then they've got Huddersfield at home a couple of days before Christmas. So three of the next four at home, big trip to Ipswich sandwiched in there for their away game. So a big run coming up for Norwich and they'll certainly fancy the chance of getting some good points on those three home games. But obviously there's so many different factors to feature in there, such as Preston wanting to get back on the bike. Will Sheffield Wednesday be going there on the back of another result at Stoke at the weekend? Huddersfield has slowly started to turn the screw under Darren Moore. So there's certainly an element to say that Norwich should fancy their chances, but at the same time, certainly not going to find it easy. But a good win at the weekend, show good character to come back and get that victory. The fact that they've come back from behind in two of the last three away games to win is a good positive factor. It shows the players are playing for the manager. But for Bristol City, they'll be disappointed that they've let that one slip and just not getting the rub of the green with home goals at Ashton Gate at the minute. Not quite as hilarious as Zach Viner's against Middlesbrough a few weeks ago, but um, a little bit unfortunate, the one that George Tanner scored on Sunday afternoon. And as well as that, for me, Zach Viner potentially maybe got to be doing a little better to hold yeah, off Adam Eden and then second. So he'll be disappointed with that. Liam Manning will be disappointed with that. But for Norwich and David Wagner especially, another really, really big win. And all of a sudden dramatically in the true championship fashion, four points off the playoffs. It just goes to show how quickly things can change in this league. Absolutely. There was three draws in the championship this weekend. Swansea City rescued a late point against Huddersfield through Charlie Patino to get them a point. Huddersfield had led for most of the game after an own goal from Ben Cabango. Much, much better week for Huddersfield. Um, four points from two tricky away trips. A couple of players coming back from injury just to... to fill out the bench as much as anything. Danny Ward back up front, albeit not, you know, still a bit rusty, but ultimately they're a better team with him in it and a few more players available on the bench. Just meant he can freshen things up a little bit more, Darren Moore, because they have struggled with injuries, but performances have been poor. Real uplift in the last two games, which is is a big plus with uh, some home games to come. Millwall won, Sunderland won. Um, a penalty from Jack Clark, cancelling out Nisbet's opener. A little bit of debate whether it was a penalty or not. I think Leonard gets some of the ball. I think it depends probably what angle you're looking at as to whether you think it's a penalty or not. Probably a little bit harsh on Millwall. There's a bit of pressure building on Mowbray after a poor week, but they are only three points off safe. So I, I would just say to Sunderland fans, just just try and have a level head. Just remember that you only got promoted, what, 18 months ago. I know last season was brilliant. It's still a very young group. I think Mowbray's a good thing for Sunderland ultimately. Albeit he's got his faults, like every manager has in the championship. And then Birmingham nil, Rotherham United nil. Very poor from Birmingham. Rotherham, well worthy of only their second away point of the season. Probably should have had three, all three, missing a glaring chance. Uh, Robin Birmingham playing out from the back, somehow not scoring as it was smuggled away on the line. Nathan Jones was in attendance, George, watching the game. Heavy rumours he could become the next Rotherham United manager. What are your thoughts on that if the Millers were to get it over the line? Being truthful, I think it'd be quite a coup for him, to be yeah, honest. Absolutely. I think it would be a, a really good appointment, to be fair. And Nathan Jones is a, is a manager that certainly divides opinion, shall we say. His character is certainly a little hot-headed at times, but he's proven at Luton. He does know his way around the club with not the biggest expectations who can then exceed them. Stoke obviously didn't go well. Southampton, for me, he should never have been given that job. But at this level, with a team where he sort of will be coming in, I would imagine, with a long-term strategy to build from a base, whether they go down or not, I think he's got the potential to turn a team like Rotherham around. He was in attendance at St Andrews on Saturday. He was pictured watching the game. And there seems to be a lot of murmurs as we record this on Sunday evening that it is gathering pace and it is looking likely to happen. So... Miller's fans potentially, they may have got the appointment done and be reacting to it by the time they download this later in the week, should they be listening, say on Thursday or Friday or whatever. But personally, I think if it happens, really good appointment. I think when you consider some of the names that had been linked in the in the bookies odds, I think Nathan Jones would be a real shout. So for Rotherham, I think if they were to get it done and get him through the door, I think it's certainly got the potential to be a good move because we saw what he did at Luton. He knows his way around this division. Yes, Stoke was a disaster. It was. There's no hiding that. Southampton was the same. But a team like Rotherham, who obviously don't have the biggest expectations at its level, I think Nathan Jones could thrive off that. And, of course, the January transfer window is not far away. He's likely to be able to bring a few in, perhaps on loan. 
Maybe maybe he could use his Luton contacts, one or two fringe players who might fancy linking back up with him again. Who knows? But I think personally, looking from the, from the outside, looking in, I think it would be a really solid shout for, for Rotherham to get Nathan Jones. They could do a hell of a hell of a lot worse than him. Yeah, absolutely. That marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this feed where you can get your podcast for all the latest episode every single week. Make sure you're following us on Twitter as well at ChantChatPod24. And a huge thank you again to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. If you're looking to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees, make sure you check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.